Hello, everybody, and welcome to not just another episode of Bearded Things, but our season two premiere. Woo! You got cut out there, and uh, I, I mean, I think everybody felt your woo. So, uh, welcome, man. How are you? Welcome to season two. Are you excited? Are you ready? What are your thoughts? How do you feel? What's your relationship like with your parents? <laughs> no comment on the last one. <laughs> uh, but, um, I feel good. It's exciting. Uh, I'm really excited about my topic, which as we discussed in the season finale last week, when I'm really excited for my topic, you just get like a meh reaction from people. <laughs> so I hope someone hears us and is as blown away as I was while I was writing the script over the course of two days. But I'm excited. It's a cool new new season. I don't know, rebirth, new life, new energy. Nothing's changed. It's a week from last week from our season finale, but it's still just, it feels nice. It feels good to have a fresh new season started. Up yeah. It's, June. it's like a clean slate. We're starting over. I mean, not like, you know, literally, but spiritually, you know, emotionally, we're yeah. just shedding that skin. We are lo using loofahs and getting the dead cells and being new. Yeah. I was going to make a joke about not changing my loofah in the last three months, but that's not true because those <laughs> things are bacteria infested and disgusting. Yeah. So they're really bad. If you haven't changed your loofah in the last like month and you're listening to this, go buy a loofah. They're on sale at CVS. This has been hygiene corner with <laughs> the beard sleeves. So how are you, man? How are things? How was your new year's? It was good. Uh, my son was here, which those of you that listened to last week's episode, you heard his lovely introduction. Um, <laughs> so it was good. And we got to play the um, wonderful question of, is it fireworks or is it gunshots at midnight on New Year's Eve? Um, so that was fun. The neighbors had like the big mortar shells. So every two, three minutes, it sounded like I was in a trench in World War One with like a mortar going off over my head. So that was fun. Yeah, same. I'm out in uh, in L.A. and same kind of thing. The, mm. the entire neighborhood was like mm. just exploding in the sky. It was pretty great. And uh, yeah, I played the game, too, of like, is it fireworks? Is it gunshots? Let's find out. And uh, <laughs> with the Citizen app, uh, not a sponsor, I don't know if you use it or if you've downloaded it. It kind of gives you like little heads ups of what's going on in your neighborhood and wherever you are. Uh, so if there's like a 911 call, it'll pop up on there and be like, you know, police, somebody had a heart attack over at this street. And so, uh, yeah, so it was kind of fun to be like, I believe that was a firework. And then citizens yeah. like <laughs> gunshots in house at this. I'm like, oh, nice. I was wrong. Dang it. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny because uh, I posted a video like on my Snapchat of like just I was standing in my front yard and it was like, like you're just fireworks like in front of me to the right to the left directly overhead. It was just like everywhere. And then when we came back inside, I was like, all right, like told my son, like, we say it's midnight, like it's time to go to bed. And he's like crawling in bed and like getting, you know, tucked in. And he's like, I feel like I'm in a civil war right now. I'm just <laughs> in a war. We're fighting. <laughs> like, yep. And then the next morning, he's like, I dreamt that I was in the civil war. <laughs> like, all right. Good to know. So that was pretty funny. And we also had a conversation about uh, symbolism because the ball dropped and he's like, that's it. <laughs> I was like, yep, like, like not really much to it. I was like, it's just symbolism. And, you know, he asked what symbolism was. And I told him it's when something represents a symbol, which was just even more confusing. And I just explained to him that it's just the countdown. It's a visual countdown. So we could see the ball drop in the new year starting. But in reality, it literally means nothing. Pretty much, yeah. And what's funny, 
<laughs> so I, I'm not a big New Year's celebrator. Nothing mm. bad. It's just cheaper and safer just to stay home. Oh, yeah. And I, I think we've all hung out together on New Year's. You know, mm-hmm. we've done all that stuff, which is great and fun. But uh, this year was just really quiet. Everybody's social distancing. So I'm at home by myself. I'm watching the countdown. And right when, uh, cut to Ryan Seacrest. And he's like, all right, guys, we're getting ready. Here it goes. Cut to commercial break. So the ball dropped for me during the commercial. And uh, so I think it technically means I have two more weeks of 2020. Yeah. The, the ball saw its shadow. So I had to go back in for two more weeks. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I, I'd imagine it was a great ball drop. I just, I, <laughs> for whatever reason, my cable provider thought it would be a great time to pay their bills. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, Ryan Seacrest did look kind of haggard on there. Um, did you see not, Anderson Cooper's New Year's thing? I di- I literally like I was not I didn't have the TV on at all until like eleven fifty eight when I turned it on and I saw like Seacrest doing his thing. I didn't see any of the other stuff. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, Anderson Cooper decided uh, to get drunk live on nice. the air, and it was hilarious. So uh, I suggest YouTubing that. All of you go YouTube that. It's funny. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So before we go further in tangents, what are you covering today? Today I am uh, covering a timeless piece because I am covering time travel. I am covering someone who is known as the most prolific serial killer of the modern age. That is a very bold statement. I thought so too. And it's very interesting. And I'll kind of get into into my script. Awesome. Uh, I believe last year. Ah, let's see what I did there. Because New Year. Don't my joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, last year, last episode, I went first, which means you, sir, are up. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Good luck. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> uh, okay. So, like I said, for today's episode, I'm going to cover something that's kind of new for me is I haven't covered a serial killer before. And it's going to be one that you may or may not have heard of, even though I called him the most prolific serial killer of the modern age not many people know him and just because you haven't heard of him doesn't mean he's just like any run-of-the-mill serial killer uh as i mentioned he's been called by the guinness book of world records before they took it away because they were counting murder as a game he was called by the (laughs) guinness book of world records the most prolific serial killer of the modern era he's also been called the monster of the andes and his name is pedro lopez and he is from colombia I do want to put out a warning here before I start this topic. It involves um, some pretty horrific things, and it mainly involves the rape and murder of young girls. So I completely understand if you want to skip the topic. I hope you don't. I put a lot of work into this. I think it's a really good topic. And I also, I'll be as gentle as I can in the telling, but as we've also said on several occasions, we like to bring the story to you and not just to give you the information because people are kind of addicted to some of these stories, but also to honor you know, the countless people whose lives are tragically cut short. So, yeah, we just want to respect them because ultimately this was how their life ended and yeah. uh, we want to do them a service. Yeah. So like I said, feel free to skip the topic. If you're halfway through and it's too much for you, please skip. Like I said, I, tr- I, I leave out more of the brutal tellings of some of the stuff, but um, we'll get to that. But if you feel free, if you want to skip it, skip forward. I totally understand. I will not hold it against you. So Pedro Lopez was born in Santa Isabel, Colombia on August 8th, 1948. And from the moment he was born, there was trouble in his life. He was one of 13 children and his father, Medardo Reyes, 
was killed before Pedro was even born, and his mother, Benilda, was a known sex worker and was known to bring men to their home. It is believed that this early exposure to sex in an overly sexual environment led to a twisting of Pedro's psyche at a young age. At the age of eight years old, his mother caught him fondling his younger sister, and she kicked him out of the house. It was this time, at this time, as an eight-year-old boy living on the streets, he joined a gang and reportedly smoked copious amounts of basuco, which is an impure form of cocaine. It was also around this time that he was picked up by a man who offered him a warm place to sleep and food to eat. However, this man gave no such thing and reportedly raped him repeatedly in an abandoned building. This obviously traumatized a young Pedro and forced him into even more reclusive behavior. When he was either 10 or 12 years old, the reports vary, he was picked up by an American family living in Colombia and offered to stay with them while being enrolled in a school for orphans. What is known is that at the age of 12, Pedro was once again sexually assaulted by an older male, this time a teacher at the school, and he stole money from the office and ran away. While on the streets, Pedro went back to his previous ways and was eventually arrested at the age of 18 for stealing a car. On his second day in jail, Pedro was raped by four older men. Instead of reporting the assault, Pedro fashioned a crude knife out of prison materials and hunted down and murdered three out of the four men who assaulted him. Prison officials deemed the attack self-defense and only added two years to his sentence. It was at this time, however, that Pedro vowed that no one would ever touch him again. He served his prison sentence, but also stated that while in prison, it was, that he, it was then that he decided he wanted to rid as many young people of their innocence as possible. Lopez was, was released in 1978 and traveled to Peru, where he began his spree of murders. He started targeting groups of young girls, many from indigenous backgrounds, along with those from poor socioeconomic backgrounds. He would lure his victims to remote areas with promises of food and warm places to sleep, sounds familiar, and then rape and strangle the girls to death. He would then bury the bodies before moving on to another group and slowly picked out the girls. He claims that he raped and murdered quote, well over 100 girls before he was caught trying to abduct a nine-year-old girl from the local Ayachucho's tribe. The warriors and elders of the tribe beat him, tortured him by burying him in the sand up to his neck and covering his head with honey so ants would eat at his skin and judged him to be guilty and to be buried alive for his crimes. Fate somehow intervened for Lopez once more when an American missionary convinced the tribe to release him to her after she promised to take him to the police where he could be tried and sentenced. The Peruvian, Peruvian authorities took custody of Pedro, but as they did not particularly care for the plight of the poor and indigenous peoples at the time, they decided the best course of action was for, to release Pedro by deporting him back to his home country of Colombia. Free once more, Lopez began his reign of terror and started hunting girls. He claimed to have raped and killed around 110 girls in Ecuador, along with 100 or so girls in Colombia. Secondly, he later told a reporter that, quote, I like the girls in Ecuador. They are more gentle and trusting, more innocent. They're not as suspicious of strangers as the Colombian girls. Pedro Lopez could have continued his spree if it were not for a flood in 1980 near Ambato, Ecuador, that unearthed the remains of four missing girls. This put many of the locals on high alert, which is why a few days after the flood, a mother named Carolina Povera saw Lopez approach her daughter and attempt to lure her away from a crowd. She cried out and Lopez began to run, but Car Carlina, along with a bunch of locals, chased after him, catching him and holding him down until police arrived. Finally, in police custody, 
Lopez refused to cooperate and was silent for many days. The authorities got creative when they dressed a priest, Father Cordoba Guidano, Guidino, in prison clothes and put him in the cell with Lopez to see if he would talk. The priest talked about crimes that he had, quote, committed in an effort to get Lopez to talk, and it kind of worked. During their time they spent together, the priest and Lopez got close enough that Lopez talked about his killings. When he admitted this, the priest revealed himself as a man of the cloth and confronted Lopez about the truth of the killings and encouraged him to admit them to the police. Lopez broke down and made a full confession to the police. The police, in typical movie fashion, determined that there's no possible way that one man could have killed so many girls and not been caught. The police attempted to corroborate the story as best they could with the Peruvian and Colombian authorities, but they still did not believe all the claims. Then the bodies began to show up. Lopez claimed that he could show police his work and he led detectives to 53 grave sites in and around the, the town of Ambato, where the original four bodies showed up. The bodies were all of young girls aged 8 to 12. He also led them to an additional 28 other sites, but these were all empty due to animal activity or weather erosion. Initially, he was charged with 53 murders, but the Ecuadorian officials later increased that to 110 charges after reviewing the detailed confessions of Lopez. He would later tell the reporter that he liked to, quote, hunt during the day because he wanted to watch the innocence be taken away from them, from the girls, and then watch the life fade from their eyes as he strangled them. He said that sometimes he would go back to the bodies of a girl he killed and slit their throat or their wrist to make sure they were, they were still not alive. If blood started to pour out of the wound, he would strangle them again to make sure they were dead. He claimed that some girls took longer to die than others, but on average, it took between five and 15 minutes to kill them. He would then bury the girls in groups of four to five so that they would have someone to be with them when they were buried. He also claimed to talk to the girls after they were dead and would sit them up in the graves and have, quote, parties. Ultimately, Pedro Lopez pled guilty to all 110 charges of murder and claimed that there were more than that, but in Ecuador, 110, quote, sounded right. He claimed that he was born to be a killer, and since his innocence was taken away at such a young age, that is what led him to be a life, or that is what led him to a life of murder. Now, I really hope you're all sitting down for this next part. If you're driving, please don't frighten your fellow drivers by swerving or anything. But Lopez was convicted on all 110 charges of murder. So, how many years do you think he was sentenced to for all 110 charges? Oh, jeez, I can see this going either way. <laughs> Did you guess 16? Because if you did, that's correct. Oh, God. Yes, you heard me right. He was sentenced to 16, one six years in prison. Why 16 years? Well, in Ecuador, there's a law that had been on the books for over 100 years that forbade the death penalty and held a maximum sentence for any crime at 16 years because there was so much turmoil in the country that the law was passed to protect presidents who had been from being executed after successful coups. Oh, God. <laughs> According to one Ecuadorian prison official named Pablo Faguero, past presidents had been brutally murdered, so the non-execution and maximum jail time law was seen as the more humane option. Now, if you're done screaming, I have a little bit more of the story to finish. <laughs> as soon as people heard about the sentence, many were calling for him to be extradited back to his home country of Colombia to face trial there because the punishment for murder was to be executed by firing squad. However, Ecuador did not extradite and want to guess how many of the 16-year sentence he served? Oh, this can also go either way. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not as bad as you think. He served most of his sentence, 
but he got out on good behavior after serving 14 years. <laughs> Prior to his release, he gave the interview that I've, I've been doing my direct quotes. It's the, the first and only that he gave. He had a lot of pretty disturbing quotes. If you ever want to read the full, like there's an interview online, like the verbatim quotes. It's pretty disturbing to read how he describes some of the murders. And I purposely left those out of the script because it's just, it's, it's horrific. Some of the stuff he said. Um, but if you, you know, want to be sick to your stomach and not sleep, go ahead and find that, that interview. But he retold the reporter a year or so before his relief release that quote, I am the man of the century. No one will ever forget me. He then laughed and told them, I will be free again soon. They were releasing me on good behavior. And as I said, they did just that. On August 31st, 1994, Pedro Lopez was led out of his cell and into a van with four guards and a police officer and was taken to the Colombian border where he was pulled out of the van, uncuffed, given a water bottle, a change of clothes, and some Colombian currency and left to his own devices. Ecuadorian officials claimed that they deported him because he served his sentence and he had no visa to be in the country, so he legally needed to be deported. It took Lopez less than a week to come back to Ecuador, but he was picked up by officials once again and told that if he came back, they were going to kill him. They took him back to Colombia, and in Colombia, he was arrested, and they charged him with a 20-year-old murder, and along with, along with uh, the countless unconfirmed murders that he claimed he, he had. However, before a trial could start, he was declared mentally insane and was institutionalized in 1995. By 1998, however, he was better, apparently, because the officials had declared him legally sane and released, released him on the equivalent of $50 bail. He was reported to have visited his elderly mother in search of money from his inheritance, but when his mom told him that she was poor and living in poverty, he took her only bed and chair in her house, sold it to some street vendors, and vanished. In 2002, Interpol released a statement, an official advisory calling for his rearrest in connection to a murder that they were investigated that had a young girl between the age of eight and nine who was strangled after being raped. And so it had his MO all over it, but they were never, never able to find him. Officially, his whereabouts are unknown and his status is unknown. Officials in Ecuador and Colombia, however, feel he has received his justice. Many police officials, the governors and families of the victims have all claimed that there have been no reports of missing children for years. And they believe that a mob of people or police officers, or perhaps old age, have finally exacted their toll on Pedro Lopez and killed him. He would be 72 years old now if he was still alive. And that, my bearded friends, is the terrible story of the monster of the Andes, Pedro Lopez. That is dark. <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't mean to bring the podcast down there, but... Yeah, way to open up the uh, season two with a downer, man. Jeez. Yeah. The, like, the more I read it, and like the more I was just reading about like the shit that he was doing, it's just like, oh my God, like it's just insane. And like all the police officers and like there's the the warden of the prison in Ecuador when they released him, he was like, I know this is wrong because I feel like we're just gonna release this nightmare on someone. And it's like they all knew it was wrong, but the the government was like, No, we can't do it. Yeah, and like, even to this day in Ecuador, the maximum sentence you can have for any crime is twenty five years. No matter what the crime is. That's insane. And you can't concert, you can't serve consecutive terms. And I mean, in not to, to justify his, his sentencing or anything like that, but have you actually seen the prisons in like Ecuador? 
no yeah they're very like it's not what we think it's it's not the american version of prison Mm -hmm. and not that ours is great by any stretch it's like literally a jungle with cement walls and they'll put 20 guys in a room and those 20 guys are all armed like it's pretty intense yeah it's it's and like he was on solitary confinement for a while because they were scared because like a bunch of the families of the victims put out a the equivalent of twenty five thousand dollars U.S., which in Ecuador would be like a fortune. Um, the families all pulled their money together and put a hit out on him and saying like anyone that can take him out will pay you this money. So like oh, the geez. equivalent of like the mob and like these militias in Ecuador were trying to like get to this prison. So like they're like he's in solitary confinement. We don't know what cell he's in. Like they refuse to put in that information out. And when this, um, the reporter that did the, is Ron something, I should have written down his name, but when he did the interview, he talks about like, he came in, the guy shook his hand and there was like seven or eight guards all with their guns drawn pointed at this guy. Because when he went in there to interview them, they thought he was going to try to kill the reporter. So like, <laughs> if you make a move, we're going to shoot you. And he basically just like sat there and like, he gave us like very disturbing interview and answered questions very like very honestly and also very like super disturbing like the way he described some of the stuff happening it was just it was ridiculous he talked about at one point like he's like as often as you shave that's how often i've killed a girl like i would shave like two to or i would i would kill someone two to three times a week sometimes wow and it's like how can you be so candid about that like it's just it's so disturbing yeah i mean it goes back to the old adage of like you know hurt people hurt people you know no exactly and that's the the psychology training in my brain. I was like, this guy had a terrible upbringing and was exposed to so much terrible shit at a young age. It just rewired his brain for the exactly. worst. Yeah. Like you, he was fighting an uphill battle, like no matter what, like not to at all try to excuse the action. Right. Trying it, to it's, understand. It's, exactly. It's just trying to make sense of what happened because I, yeah. I like, I, I forget. I, it was one of Hitler's generals in, in like the Nuremberg trials you said you kill one person, it's sad. You kill 20 people, it's a tragedy. But after a certain number, your brain can't process that amount of death. I mean, think about it. Uh, a school bus can hold what? I don't know, let's say 50 kids. Mm-hmm. So it's like two, maybe three school buses worth mm-hmm. of children that this man mm-hmm. claims to have killed and yeah. was proven to have killed at least two school buses for it. Exactly, yeah. And that's like one of the, the ministers and the officials in Ecuador was quoted as saying, you know, we found 53 concrete bodies and like the way he described each of the murders and how he buried them and then finding empty graves in all these other locations that have been either like ransacked by animals or like weather had eroded it. They're like, yeah, we totally believe that he killed upwards of a hundred people in Ecuador alone. Why would he not be telling the truth about the other two countries when he was known to be active in those, he was caught in Peru by the tribe and he lived in Colombia for the longest time. Like, they, they like the officials in Ecuador and people in like Colombia, they, they completely believe that he killed over 300 people. Wow. Which is just sickening. But yeah, that was, that was that happy season two premiere guys. <laughs> awesome job, man. That was uh very unsettling and one hell of a way to kick off season two. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, now we're going to have a commercial break, right? Yes, sir. All right. We'll be back with banter with the beard sleeves and your topic. Now it is time for Banter with the Beardsleys. So, Tyler, what is Banter with the Beardsleys? 
banter with the boozies is our fun unscripted off the cuff someone sends us a question and we just we talk about it yeah and uh normally we have one from you guys but uh with last week being the season finale this one being our season premiere i have a a, a nice little banter question i'd like to ask both of us okay shoot okay so okay back in like 10 years ago when you went to my house i'm just kidding Nothing like that. <laughs> okay, no, but really, so um, New Year's has come and gone, and uh, it's, you know, the opening week of 2021. This is the point where everybody's doing, like, the new me, New Year, new me. Do uh, you have any uh, New Year's resolutions? My New Year's resolution was to be resolute. That's profound. Yes. Um. <laughs> I didn't really make any this year, which is weird because normally like I'm big on like, oh, let's try to do this, you know, like try to like motivate myself. I think just with everything that's been going on lately and just trying to the psychological turning over of a new year and kind of like that fresh start, kind of like we talked about with the the new season starting, it just feels like a fresh start. Um, Piggybacking off of that and channeling my inner astrological sign of an asparagus, I found out (laughs) that... um, I don't know when my thing's going to be in whatever it's called when the moon's bright and it makes you crazy. When Mercury's in Gatorade or whatever. Yes. Something about, yeah. Something about Gatorade and H2O and the (laughs) water boy and medulla omegladas. I don't know. Um, But I don't know. I think I, it's been a crazy year. Uh, I want to just focus on just trying to be like a good human being and a good person. And I don't know. I have a lot of shitty people that come into my work recently and it's just like, trying to kill them with kindness and not you know punch them in the face (laughs) so i'm trying to project that energy out into the universe and be like hey be a good person and hopefully that manifests into other stuff i don't i personally i've never been one to do new year's resolutions Mm -hmm. not for any bad reason i don't think i think they're great and they're wonderful things but i've always shifted them to my birthday so like that makes sense yeah like my birthday is my new year right like I made it around the globe another 365 days. Mm-hmm. How can I get to the next, you know, marker and do it better or whatever? Mm-hmm. So as far as like New Year's goes and and starting the year off with like all these goals, I, my birthday's in August, so I'm already like on my path to do it. And uh, this last August, my main goal was, you know, not to die in 2020. Yeah, good thing. Because uh, it, it was just so chaotic. It was, it really was a mess of a year. It was exhausting it felt like being in a really bad relationship, Mm -hmm. like just emotionally draining, like constantly getting ghosted by it and then told it was my fault, but it wasn't, I had nothing to do with it. And, you know, and that's just how the the year felt for me personally. (laughs) So my goal was just to make it through and, uh, look at us. We made it. Yeah. We're here now. Yeah. Who would have thought? (laughs) But yeah, so I don't really do the whole resolution thing. I just try and, uh, it's, it's like a weird time of everybody kind of normally everybody's settling in from the holidays, coming back from vacations. So things are kind of generally mellow for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I just want to keep that going. I guess that would kind of be my resolution is like, Hey, 2021 is here. Let's just support each other. Let's just push each other and just kind of be our own, uh, be the change that we want to see. I normally never feel bad for, gyms but i kind of feel bad for the gyms now because like this was like their time like it's our time to shine oh, yeah. everyone comes in and everything's closed at least in california 
So it's like the gyms are like, no. <laughs> Almost. But I think I think once hopefully the pandemic slows down and they reopen everything, I think there'll be a huge like flood of people back to the gyms because everyone got the pandemic 50 pounds or whatever it is. Oh, totally. The the COVID-19. There it is. What it is what they're calling it. But uh yeah, that would make perfect sense because and plus people just want to be active again and move their limbs, you know? Yeah, exactly. And get sweaty and then sit on a thing where somebody else got sweaty. And it's but you just, wipe it down with a sweaty towel, so it's okay. Exactly. So you're wiping their sweat off onto your sweaty towel that you're wiping exactly. your face with. Exactly. Totally, totally fine. And people wonder why ringworm happens. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, do you, uh, totally off subject. And I might cut this. I might leave it in. I don't know. But do you remember in high school when the entire wrestling team had ringworm? I do because all the mats got their sweat on it and yeah. stupid wrestlers got it. Stupid yeah, that was so. disgusting. We had a lot of fights with the wrestlers and the football team, so I still bitter. But even though I had a lot of friends on the wrestling team, <laughs> I'm was, still bitter. Yeah, it was like it was an in-school rivalry. Exactly. Yeah, which was fun. Yeah, but yeah, uh, good times. Yeah, I think that is my my question. You know, just wondering what where you're at, and you know, to everybody out there listening, what are yours? Like, what? what yeah, are let you, us know, please. Yeah, let us. You can email us. You can get a hold of us on social media. It just, you know, it'd be nice to know that we're all in this together, and you have goals and. If we can support them, we're here for you. We will totally yeah, support we that. We will write down all of your goals, and next year I will call you out personally by name yeah. on the show. Like, <laughs> where's your goal? What did you do? <laughs> and you better kidding, believe there's going to be a six-month check-in. So. Yeah, like sort of kidding but not really kidding because I think that would be a lot of fun. That actually would be a lot of fun, kind of like what do you call that, accountability circle? Yeah, exactly. So, hey, we're here for you. We'll do it. We'll push you. Yeah, let's we, do it. We probably won't, but we'll judge you for not doing the thing you said you're going to do. Yeah. For the low, low fee of nineteen ninety nine, we will call you out in six months. All right. Well, I guess that was banter with the Beardsleys. Yeah. Woo. That was fun. Yeah, I liked it. All right. On to your topic. Something about uh, space-time continuum, right? Uh, actually, yeah. I'm doing the curious case for time travel. All right. And even though 2020 is officially dead, it's definitely going to seep its evil tentacles into 2021. At least for a few months which got me thinking about time and then time Lords and how people assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually from a nonlinear non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. <laughs> exactly. That was a doctor who quote for all my Whovians out there. <laughs> now I'm not going to get into the physics of time travel because it's Aww. really, really dry. <laughs> it's really confusing and complicated. Uh, and marijuana is legal, but I just don't have that kind of time or money to get into that. <laughs> I was going to get my Einstein pipe and start quoting quantum effects. <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. Yeah, then you got wormhole theory, it, string theory, string chaos. Theory, yep. mm-hmm. oh, it just gets bananas. So all of that is insane, at least in our current time. But what if it isn't in the future, right? Well, I see what you're doing there. See, there was this awesome process sign. It said, uh, what do we want? Time travel. When do we want it? It's irrelevant. <laughs> so what if time travel is possible at some point? What if it already happened in, well, I guess our future, but their past? Or, I mean, you know how, you know what I mean. It's yes. confusing. It's already confusing. Most people who've claimed to have been time travelers are generally crazy, but there has been one or two with pretty convincing stories. For the most part, (laughs) kind of. 
So one of the most popular alleged time travelers is a man by the name of John Titter. On November 2nd, in the year 2000, posts began to appear on a forum about time travel. Writing under the name time travel underscore zero, the author claimed to have an understanding of what it takes to build a time machine. In later posts, he claimed to have actually traveled from the year 2036 with a mission to save the world. And many of these later posts he wrote under the pseudonym for which he would be known, John Teeter. Titter clearly understood physics and time travel theories and quite a bit about a very particular thing, a 1970s portable computer known as the IBM 5100. According to Titter, the IBM 5100 was central to his mission. We'll get into that. It's just, it's, it's cool. Just trust me. Greetings, he wrote. I am a time traveler from the year 2036. I am on my way home after getting an IBM 5100 computer system from the year 1975. He had said he had made a side trip to 2000 to pick up some family photos and check in on family in Tampa and Rochester. He would go on to say, in 2036, I live in central Florida with my family and I'm currently stationed at an army base in Tampa. The people that survived the Civil War and then later the limited nuclear conflict with Russia, we grew closer together. Life is centered on the family and then the community. I can't imagine living even a few hundred miles away from my parents. Now, one of the interesting things about his claims was the need for that particular IBM PC. The 5100, Titter said, was needed to, quote, debug various legacy code computer programs. In 2036, he described... Quote, a very simple and unique feature that IBM removed from any future desktop computers. In order to take advantage of this feature, the 5100 required a couple of special tweaks that had to be done by one of the software engineers in 1975. Anyone who is familiar with this feature will be able to tell you what it is, he would go on to say. Now, this is really techie, but it's kind of important. An investigator tried to crack this case and reached out to a high-ranking engineer. He would go only go on the record as BD. He said that the unique feature, that secret function, actually existed. And BD was actually the one who helped created it. The specifics here are probably irrelevant to all but the biggest computer geeks, but the 5100 featured an, quote, an interface between the assembly code surrounding the computer's ROM exterior and the 360 emulator hidden beneath it. It was called a quote, dramatic step forward. And IBM actually kept that as a trade secret. So this wasn't public information. Not too many people actually knew about it. And you'd have to be a pretty big hardcore geek to even know it existed, especially back in the year 2000. That was before Reddit. There wasn't exactly forums discussing this kind of stuff. So it's just, it's a very technical detail that I had to talk about because it kind of gives them a little bit of credibility. He hinted at something similar to a mad cow disease outbreak before the cases really hit the U.S. back in 2003. He said we wouldn't find any weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, which we didn't in 2003. He said China would send an astronaut into orbit, and they did in the year 2003. When those early prognostications came true, or at least mostly true, Titter followers got really excited, and some of them even got scared. Hmm. Because Titter also said, as a result of many conflicts, there was no official Olympics 
after 2004. However, it appears they may be revived in 2040. And this is another great quote. The Civil War in the United States will start in 2004. I would describe it as having a Waco type event every month that steadily gets worse. The year 2008 was a general date by which time everyone will realize the world that they thought they were living in was over. A world war in 2015 killed nearly 3 million people after a, quote, limited nuclear strike between the U.S. and Russia. He would go on to say, simply by traveling back in time, I have created a new world line. It's a space-time continuum. Uh, And it's distinct from the one from which he grew up. His presence here, maybe his warnings, had created a temporal divergence that changed the future on this world line. The longer I am here, he said, the larger that divergence becomes. Essentially, it's like Back to the Future franchise when Biff got the sports almanac and became Trump. (laughs) Or when Marty went back in time and made out with his mom and started erasing his own timeline. Uh, That's kind of what he's doing right now, minus the making out with his mother, which I can't confirm nor deny. (laughs) It wasn't him. It was Calvin Klein that was making out with his mom. (laughs) At the uh, Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Mm Mm-hmm. No, uh, he would go on to say, I don't expect anyone to believe me, and I have nothing to sell. He went quiet in 2001 when he went, and I quote, back to the future. (laughs) I'm not ashamed of that joke. We'll get into some of his misses in a minute, but while this has been the most convincing tales of time travel, there have been odd artifacts found around the world that just don't make sense to the era that's being excavated. In 2008, it was reported by several news outlets that a team of archaeologists had made a puzzling discovery. Reports described the team as comprised of archaeologists and journalists filming a documentary at a dig at a sealed tomb dating back to the Ming Dynasty in Shaanxi, southern China. As one of the coffins was being cleared of all the soil before being opened, a strange thing happened. Quote, when we try to remove the soil wrapped around the coffin, suddenly a piece of rock dropped off and hit the ground with a metallic sound, said Zheng Yanyu, a former curator of the Gongxi Autonomous Region Museum. According to reports, we picked up the object and found it was a ring. After removing the covered soil and examining it further, we were shocked to see it was actually a watch. The strange metallic object was said to be a small golden ring with a watch face on its front, approximately two millimeters thick tiny hands on the watch show time had frozen at 1006 most astonishing of all the back of the little watch was said to have the word swiss written in english if you haven't seen this we'll post a pic to the socials it's legitimately a watch it's not your mind trying to make sense of a stone carving like it's legit a watch If we travel from China to Egypt, we have a few oddities. There are ancient hieroglyphics that appear to resemble a helicopter and a jet. Now, I really want to believe this is real, and technically it is. There's actual hieroglyphics, I believe, in the Great Pyramid that shows a jet and legitimately a helicopter. But Egyptologists over-explain it away. And although their different explanations are kind of a reach, I will respectfully accept that There is a plausible explanation for the glyphs. What there isn't a plausible explanation for is the small toy jet. 
This object was found in 1898 in a tomb at Saqqara, Egypt, and was later dated as having been created around 200 BCE. As airplanes were unknown in the days when it was found, it was thrown into a box marked Wooden Bird Model and then stored in the basement at the Cairo Museum. We'll post this one for for you as well. If you haven't seen this, it's a small decorative, well, jet. For all you Top Gun fans, it essentially looks like the MiGs the Russians were flying. Kind of a tube-shaped body in the center of a giant triangle for wings. It even has a tail with two horizontal wings and a large vertical one, kind of like the tail of a modern-day plane. Here's the interesting part. A scientist scanned it and made a large-scale version of it, about the size of a large remote-controlled airplane. He put a propeller inside it, and without any modifications or liberties taken, aside from, you know, the propeller system, Mm. it freaking flew. Like, legitimately flew. How did they understand aerodynamics? There's absolutely no explanation for this. So to end, remember a few minutes ago when it said we'd talk about the misses from uh, Mr. Teeter? What if, okay, now hear me out. What if by Teeter coming back, he slightly nudged our timeline and shifted things like the 3 million dead from civil war to say some 3 million dead from some viral disease Mm. or the civil war itself. Like we're pretty close to being on the brink of one here in the States. What if all of this was inevitable, just slightly altered to quote the prophet Sarah Connor, August 29th, 1997 came and went. Nothing much happened. Michael Jackson turned 40. There was no judgment day. People went to work as they do, laughed, complained, watched TV, made love. I wanted to run through the street yelling to grab them all and say, every day from this day on is a gift. Use it well. She would later go on to say, instead of doing that, she got drunk. So... (laughs) So what if there was something to what Teeter was saying? What if by him just being here, it just offset the space-time continuum just enough to make things different, but yet somehow those events have to happen? I don't know. And that, my friends, is a weird little tale of time travel. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I like that. That's uh, I remember seeing the hieroglyphics and the Takara jet thing. Um, they're crazy. Like... I know the plausible explanations and all that stuff, how they like, but it's still like, and I know what they say it is, but it's still pretty, pretty interesting to see. It's like, I get their like weathered away and eroded parts, but it, it looks exactly like a modern day helicopter and like the spaceship and all yeah, that stuff. It's, what, it's pretty. What they pretty much, the excuse, or not, I shouldn't say the excuse. The theory that they're presenting is that it was a, uh, what were they called? Onks? Yeah, no, that's the, the symbol. Yeah. I, I forget mm-hmm. what the, the jar where they put the hieroglyphs in uh, in the drawing. Mm-hmm. But uh, pretty much it belonged to a previous king and then his rule a, uh, rule ended. So they plastered over it and recarved it. And then that caused it to chip out the plaster, creating the illusion of a helicopter, a jet, and a tank. Because another one mm-hmm. looks like a tank. Um, but yeah. I beg to differ. I think it's very specifically... A helicopter, like it looks like a helicopter. Yeah. And the same with that little golden jet toy. Like it looks like a mini yeah. jet. Like, it like does... I know it's supposed to be a bird, but it looks like a little jet. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look like a bird. It's supposed to, they, they're saying it's a bird, but like, come on, it's a jet. 
The so. bird with the straightest wings ever. Yeah, a bird with triangle wings, mm. to, as well as the, the vertical and two horizontal tail feathers. I've never seen a bird like that. It's you weird. seen the famous Saqqara jet bird? <laughs> <laughs> it's all the rage of the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, so is time travel possible? I think it... I mean, well, we won't know until we get there, but I mean, technically it could be, we just haven't hit it yet. That's very true. So that is my story. If somebody wanted to submit a story to us or, uh, ask us a question for banter with the beards leads or just say hello, where and how can they do that? They can call us in the year 2036. (laughs) We'll be there next week. (laughs) Uh, no, you can find us on any of our social medias. Our Instagram is at Bearded Things Pod. Facebook is facebook.com slash Bearded Things. We also have a pretty cool Facebook group, if I do say so myself. It's called the Bearded Things Bearded Friends group. You can also find us on Twitter, which is at Bearded Things, and YouTube, which is at Bearded Things Pod. You can also email us at contact us at beardedthings.com. We also have a website, www.beardedthings.com. On that website, there's a contact us page where you can click on that. If you think like, oh, I don't want to contact them. Like they're so cool and they're so amazing. They're not going to want to talk to me. I mean, you're absolutely right, but we will (laughs) respond. (laughs) Yeah. We love getting fan mail and it's, it it makes, like we said last week on the show, it it really makes our day when people send us messages. So it's amazing. And well, happy new year, everybody. I hope you had a good time. I know uh, I did. It was a, you know, new year, new me. I I can't believe I said it, but I said it. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's enough for tonight. Uh, We will talk to you guys next week. Bye.